0: Hey, everybody. So glad that you could join us for today's service. Whether you're joining us in person or you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're a part of what God is going to do today. Our service is gonna begin in just a few moments, so hang in there, and we look forward to what God is going to do. We are praying that God would speak to us, that He would draw us closer to Him, that we would learn what it looks like to follow Jesus and to worship Him and to love Him with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. So we're looking forward to what God is gonna do. Thanks for joining us today.
1: go ahead and have a seat. Good morning and welcome to Bridges Community Church. If we've never had a chance to meet, my name's Nate. I'm one of the pastors on staff here and we would like to say welcome. And right here at the beginning of our service, we got something a little bit different because this was a busy, busy week for many people in here. I know myself, I attended two different graduations this week and there have been dozens of graduations happening all around us. And today is the day where we are gonna celebrate our graduating high school seniors. And so we're gonna start that off with a video. Let's take a look.
2: Dear Heavenly Father, our prayer for Sujay is that you remind him every day how much you love him. Give him spiritual discernment and the ability to see through the enemy's lies and overcome his traps. We pray that you would direct Sujay's steps and that he would find security and confidence fully in you and he would trust in you with all his heart. As for Suresh and me, teach us to love with knees bent and hands off, encouraging but not hovering. We pray that your light will continue shining on Sujay as he enters this new phase in life. We pray all these in the name of your Son and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.
3: Father, we thank you for Sujay uh, who has been such a blessing in our lives and thank you for blessing him uh, with a great future. Uh, Lord, we pray that you continue to be with him uh, as he ventures into the world and uh, we pray that he be used of you mightily, um, and uh, we ask for your presence to go with him, in Jesus' name.
2: Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a son to love and who loves you.
3: Thank you for his passion for godly things.
2: Keep his heart yearning for you, and give him spiritual eyes to see and discernment in his future.
3: May his life be honoring to you, Lord, and a blessing to others.
2: We dedicated him to you as a baby, and now we do so again as a young adult.
3: Please protect him and guard him in all his ways.
2: Grow his faith and affirm his gifts and talents.
3: Guide him to biblical and godly connections and friendships.
2: Thank you for the wonderful friends and mentors you have given him along the way.
3: We look forward to seeing him bloom with new friendships and new mentors.
2: Thank you that his desire is to place you first in his life.
3: Continue to captivate his heart and his life.
2: In In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Dear God, thank
4: you for blessing us with Camden. Even though he came into this world through the valley of the shadow of death, you've anointed him. When he roared back as the loudest crier in the NICU, we knew you have a purpose for his life, and you will reveal your plans for him in your perfect time.
3: We pray Camden continues to seek you and see you in his reality as he becomes a young that he'll find joy in knowing you, and in his trial, he'll come and find peace in you. May he be reminded, earthly life is temple, and what matters is his eternity with you. Thank you, and in Jesus' name we
5: pray. Amen. Amen.
6: Well, good morning, BCC family. Um, If you do not know me, uh, my name is Dave Collegian. I'm the youth director here at Bridges Community Church. And uh, why don't we give uh, our seniors um, a round of applause again. It's always a bittersweet time of year for me. I'm excited to see what God has in this new chapter in their lives. Uh, but I will miss, I'll miss you guys um, for sure. Um, so I'm going to just take a moment to have them introduce themselves and give you a little bit of information about uh, where they went to school and what next year looks like. Um, but before I do, uh, Christina Lee, if you want to just, um, she's over there, just didn't, uh, was a little shy, didn't want to come up on stage, and we've all been there, right? Right? Um, but Christina Lee is, is truly an amazing person, um, and we're, we're grateful that you're here. Yeah. Christina Lee, uh, she uh, did online um, an online academy, homeschooled um, for high school, and she's looking to continue her studies. Um, Tyler.
0: Um, my name is Tyler Hill. I attended Aragon High School, and in the fall, I plan to attend Biola University under engineering physics.
7: Uh, my name is Sujay Puntalu and I went to Monta Vista High School, and I'm planning to attend Cal Poly San Luis Obispo this fall.
3: Uh, I'm Camden's son, and I went to Mountain View High School, uh, and I'm planning to go to Foothill for two years and hopefully do computer
6: science at some other school. Graduates, uh, on behalf of Bridges Community Church, we want to say congratulations. We also want to let you know uh, that you are loved and that we're here to support you as a church, uh, no matter where your travels uh, take you. Before we pray for these these graduates, I also want to mention that uh, one week from today, uh, 21 high schoolers as well as youth leaders are going to be getting on a bus and heading up for a week of camp at Hume Lake. So if you are either a student or a youth leader who is going to be attending, can you all stand um, up right now just so we could pray for you as well? All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, that you are um, such an amazing God. Lord, we are grateful uh, for, uh, for the graduates um, that are here and uh, for the next chapter in their lives. Lord, I pray uh, that you will draw each one of them to, towards yourself. Um, and they will discover the depths of your love for them. Lord, guide them, be with them, keep them safe, Lord. Um, I pray as a church body that we'll, we will be here to support them, to love them, uh, and encourage them uh, to follow after you. Lord, I pray for the high schoolers who are, uh, and the leaders who are heading up to Hume Lake next week. Um, I pray that it'll be uh, just an impactful week for all of us, um, that we will grow in our relationship with you. Uh, Lord, thank you for all these things in your name. Amen.
1: Thanks, guys. And as they uh, exit, I'll take an opportunity for a quick shameless plug. Hearing uh, these young men standing up here whose voices are an octave lower than mine, these deep, rich uh, bass Singers, uh, I'll say that, hey, this week we are going to start up our summer choir. There was a little thing in the newsletter. So anyone who sings, no experience uh, needed. Thursday night we're going to meet and start singing. And throughout the summer, come when you can. Uh, If you're interested, which you should be, come find me after service or check out the newsletter or email me this week. But I just had to throw it in there. And uh, uh, you three guys that were up here... I'll see you on Thursday at choir rehearsal. (laughs) Let's all stand and worship together. strong. Over the last couple of weeks, we've talked in service as we're working our way through a series in the book of Job. We've talked about lament and what it means to lament in worship. And it, it has stood out to me that we, we don't have to come to God neat and tidy, put together, polished, finished. We just come to God raw. And we can cry out to God at any point with any of our Suffering, our struggle, our anguish, anything that we're feeling. It doesn't always have to be pretty. Uh, David gives us many examples in the Psalms of not being pretty, of calling out in honest anguish and suffering. And we can do the same. And we're gonna take a moment here to continue uh, having lament in worship. And if, if you're going through something, if your heart is heavy, here is our chance to call out to God, in all honesty, and if you're not, that's okay too. We can we can just sing praises to God. We can say thank you, God, or we can cry out and say why, God. A couple weeks ago, um, my wife Casey sent me a recording of an old Fanny Crosby hymn that I had heard, but I wasn't really familiar with. It's called "Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior." And some of us probably know that. It might be a a reminder to some. It might be brand new to others. But we're going to sing that in a few minutes. Uh, But before we sing that, we're going to take a moment to pray. I'm going to read a bit of a psalm. And and then we're just going to take time to to cry out. You can do it out loud. You can do it in the quiet of your head. Just however you want to. But pass me not, O gentle Savior. And hear these words uh, from Psalm 102 says, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. And as I had the words to pass me not, O gentle Savior, and I read this this morning, it really stuck out to me. David was saying, hear my prayer and let my cry come to you. And don't hide your face to me. So let's take a moment to pray. And I'm going to begin by reading these words again. And as I read them out loud, would you pray these words? You can do that silently or you can do it out loud, either one. But let's bow our heads in prayer. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. And do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me and answer me speedily in the day when I call. God, we continue to come to you with bowed heads and open hearts. God, hear our prayers. Have mercy on us. Let they- Gracious Lord, that is our prayer, that in our time of struggling and suffering, when we are feeling weak, when we really need you, hear our prayer. And come quickly to us when we call out to you and do not pass us by. God, we know that you are here. We know that you surround us. But in our weakness, remind us. In our heartache, Comfort us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We'll go ahead and have a seat and we'll dismiss our elementary school students to join Miss Alba for Sunday school.
0: Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes.
7: We are in our sixth week of studying the book of Job, um, which we will conclude uh, next week. Um, but even if you haven't been here for the past weeks, and likely even if you have little or no familiarity with the Bible, you may have heard of Job. Because the biblical character Job uh, still endures today as a like relevant cultural reference of someone who suffered greatly but was commended for how he responded to his suffering. So for thousands of years, really, when people have faced challenging seasons, they have sought wisdom in the book of Job. Um, They look for hope. They look for answers. They look for what to do with themselves because they've heard. There's some guy who faced a string of severe tragedies and yet... This guy handled it really well, and God even shows up in the book. So they say, all right, I'll read the book of Job when they're going through something. I'm going to find out what I'm supposed to do, and and maybe even God will show up for me, too. People have done that for thousands of years. Job is ancient literature. But uh, I think, and maybe this is your experience, more often than not, when people uh, read the book of Job, they are surprised by what they find. Um, and they don't really know how to apply it to their lives. Uh, Carl Jung, for instance, you know, father of Jungian therapy, he followed Freud in the history of psychology, and he disagreed with Freud a whole bunch. But Carl Jung wrote a book entitled Answer to Job, um, in which he concluded that Job, the guy, comes out looking better than God in the book of Job. Um, Jung thought that the book of Job shows us God's evil side. Um, now, just to be clear for everyone, that is not what the book of Job shows us. But Young thought so. Um, he, he thought so in part because when God shows up and responds to Job, at least at first glance, it does not look like how we might expect a loving God to respond to someone who has endured great suffering. Here's poor Job. And if you haven't been with us for the past week's Job's family has tragically died. He's lost all of his wealth. He's totally destitute. He's been crying out to God for answers. And now God shows up and responds. So how would you expect God to speak to someone who has endured what Job has endured? Uh, What would you expect? Especially if you're acquainted with Jesus in the New Testament. Because how did Jesus respond to people who were hurting? Jesus is gentle and compassionate if people are hurting. Now, he weeps with Lazarus' relatives who are at the funeral. He heals people who are sick. He speaks tenderly to a little girl when he raises her back to life. Like, if people are hurting, Jesus is really pretty gentle. Jesus is rough uh, and abrasive with some other people. Like, you need to be sometimes, I guess. But if people were hurting, Jesus is really compassionate. So, if we're reading through the book of Job, and you know, Job has probably no one in Scripture who endured greater suffering than Job, except Jesus himself. And now we get to the point where God is going to speak. What would we expect God to do? Is he going to weep with Job like Jesus wept with Lazarus' family? Is he going to heal Job like Jesus healed so many? At first glance, it does not look like God is compassionate at all. God shows up and says to Job things like... Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Another place, God says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And we're like, whoa there, God. Like, check yourself. Calm down. Um, God, that is not how you should probably speak to someone who is hurting. That's probably not how you would do it. You know, at Bridges, we have, uh, we have a grief share ministry. Did you know that? Uh, give support if you've lost a loved one. We also have divorce care. These are awesome that we do this. Uh, help, help people walk through the process and hurt and complications that do- divorce or separation create. I love that we have those ministries. We want to support people who are going through painful seasons. That's awesome. Very grateful. Uh, now, here's the question. If you read how God responds to Job, would you want God leading the, one of the sessions of divorce care or grief share? Would you want God in charge of those meetings? Like someone is weeping, literally, like crying in front of others. You know, how am I supposed to put my life back together? Totally valid question. Um, You probably don't want someone else standing up and responding. Like, who is this who's weeping over there? Who comes to our grief share meeting and darkens our council with words without knowledge? You there, you, you who've asked how you're supposed to get through tomorrow. You've been asking a lot of questions. I have some questions for you. Brace yourself like a man and answer me. Probably not how we would coach someone uh, to lead grief share or divorce care. Probably not. Um, And probably not how we would expect God to respond to someone who had endured what Job had endured. So we're going to look at this interaction between God and Job. And as we do, we'll see at least maybe some of our initial observations about God's response are not the whole story. Um, He's a good bit more compassionate than he might seem, but we'll have to dig to see it. Uh, And we'll have to do this in summary form because God's response to Job spans four chapters, um, and we're only going to be here one week. But fortunately, uh, after God speaks, Job reacts to God's response. And when Job reacts, this is what we just read a minute ago, Job sort of summarizes what God had just told him. At least he summarizes what he understood God to have told him. And Job's summary of what God said is only six verses. It's much more manageable than four chapters. So today we are going to study what Job understood God to have said. And we will see what Job heard, what Job concluded, and how we know Job's encounter with God was genuine, or authentic. What Job heard, what Job concluded, and how we can have reasonable confidence, Job really encountered the true God. So first, what Job heard. He heard that his knowledge was limited. Job understood God to have said that Job has limited knowledge about how the world works. He has limited knowledge about God's reasons for suffering and how that works. Job has limited knowledge. Job quotes God twice in these short little verses that we read here today, verse 4 and verse 6, and both places, God's point to Job is that Job really doesn't know very much about the world. God has built various systems for the operation of the world, and they are totally unfathomable to Job, totally. Cosmological systems, gravitational systems, ecological systems, biological systems, Job has no clue how God built the world to operate. God, in fact, asked Job 77 questions over four chapters. And Job has zero answers. The point is, Job really doesn't know very much. Um, and I know this is insulting to our modern age of scientific advancement. Um, and we really have made some wonderful advancements. Hallelujah. I love airplanes. I love my iPhones. This is a great time to be alive. I hope we keep figuring out more stuff. But we really don't know as much as we think we do. We certainly know way more than Job, um, but but what we do know is a drop in the bucket to what we don't know. God could ask us the same questions he asked Job, and we wouldn't have much of an answer either. For For instance, God asked Job some ecological questions. Job 38, God says, Job, do you provide food for the lioness and the raven? Are you the one who makes sure their food supply is available? Or Job 39, God asked, did you give the wild donkey his habitat? Put him up on the hill and assign him the greenery to eat? Do you know how all that works, Job? And of course, Job has no idea how all that works. We, on the other hand, think we know about ecology, but our knowledge is really actually pretty limited. Um, in 1995, for instance, um, uh, wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone National Park. You know this story? Um, really, just because they had become endangered. Um, so wolves were endangered, and they wanted to increase the wolf population, obviously, because endangered animal. But they, thought, they also thought adding wolves to Yellowstone or back into Yellowstone would help control the number of elk in the park because the elk population had exploded. Obviously, that would happen if there's no apex predator. Elk are going to increase. So scientists and conservation workers knew uh, wolves would bring down the elk population. But they had no idea what else would be affected when they added wolves back in. Once wolves were added and they started killing the elk like they're supposed to, um, these elk carcasses then provided food for eagles to scavenge. Um, So the eagle population increased. Also, with less elk, trees, um, especially trees near the river, were able to grow um, because the trees were no longer getting eaten and trampled when they're just little baby saplings uh, because of the overpopulation of the elk. Then with more trees comes more flowers, which means more bees, which means more honey. And again, with more trees, especially by the rivers, beavers were able to use those trees to make dams. With more dams, the speed of the river slowed. So fish populations increased because their eggs weren't getting washed downstream so quickly. With more fish, bear populations increased. With more life in the river, water quality of the river increased. Wolves changed everything. And no one was expecting that to happen. No one. God is like, are you the one who makes all these animal habitats work together? Did you put the donkey up on the hill and have him eat just the right amount of greenery? do you understand how all that fits together? We really don't. We don't know. Or Job 38, God asked Job about the weather. God says, have you seen the storehouses of snow? Do you know if the rain has a father? Can you send lightning on its way or cover yourself with a flood? And Job is like, I, I can't, I, I don't know anything about that. And we, again, arrogantly, we're like, ooh, 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 we know about that. We know, like we've learned about the water cycle. That's actually just like elementary science class. Like call on us, God. We can tell you about high-pressure systems, low-pressure systems. We're like, we understand about the weather. But do we? Every fall, fire season rolls around in California. We're all breathing contaminated air. We sound like we've been smoking five packs a day for 20 years. All of us, every single one of us wants it to rain, desperately want it to rain. None of us can make it rain. And then we all start start pointing fingers at each other and say, oh, it's because of poor forest management or corruption in the power company or climate change, right? But you know what would solve it? You know how fire season actually ends every year? Rain. If it would just rain, all the finger pointing at each other would stop. But you know what no one can make it happen? Rain. Rain. We can't make rain happen. We can't cover ourselves in a flood like God asked Job. We don't know as much about the weather as we think we know. And if God came to us as he came to Job and asked us 77 questions, we would be in a very similar position to Job. God's point to Job is that since since Job really does not know how God operates in the physical world, Job cannot accuse God for wrongdoing for how he operates in the world of suffering and tragedy because Job doesn't know what God is up to there either. It's like God is saying, I have reasons for suffering that you don't know anything about. Just like you don't know the reason I put the donkey up on the hill, you don't know what I'm up to with suffering. And since you don't know how it works, you can't just blindly accuse me of handling it wrong. God says you have to know what I'm doing in order to really judge me. You'd have to know what I'm, how I'm tying all this together before you say that I'm an error. And since you don't know what I'm doing, you don't. You don't know what I'm doing. It's unfair for you to just assume that I'm doing something evil and then blame me for it. It's really unfair. That's what Job heard. He heard, I know very little, so I can't judge God for being evil because I don't know what he's up to. It would be unfair for me to judge him. I've spoken of what I don't understand. That's what he heard. Now, secondly, what Job concluded. Um, In the vacuum of knowledge regarding, like, the reasons for suffering, Job has to make an assumption. He can assume that God is evil Carl Jung did, or he can assume God is good. It's really an assumption either way, right? Because we don't know the full story of what God's doing. So, Job concluded God's plan for suffering is wonderful. Verse 3, Job says, I spoke of things too wonderful for me to know. Um, I realize it may not be obvious Job is talking about God's plan for suffering Um, when Job says he spoke of things too wonderful for him to know, so just dig a little. Uh, Through the entire book, basically, Job has been lamenting over his suffering. He asked God to give him a reason for his suffering, and then God shows up, does not directly answer Job's questions, but God talks. God talks about biology, astronomy, geology, meteorology, and then Job says... I spoke of things too wonderful for me to know. So what are the things? I mean, has Job talked about astronomy, geology, biology? Did Job ever bring up any of those topics? No. Job never talked about those. God did, but Job didn't. Job has only talked about one thing the entire book, his suffering. So when Job says, I spoke of things too wonderful, he's talking about, his suffering. He's talking about why in the world God has let all this happen to him. What is God up to with this? That's, that's the only thing Job's been talking about the whole book. And now he says, what the things I've been talking about are too wonderful for me to know. Something has flipped in Job's mind from looking at his suffering as crushing, which is what he has done for the majority of the book, to now he's looking at his suffering as wonderful. For 30-something chapters, Job thought his suffering was an unjust tragedy. He hadn't done anything to have warranted his pain. So what's the reason for it? He can't understand. 30-something chapters. And now, after hearing from God, Job calls the same suffering wonderful. Job has made the connection that God wanted him to make which is if God has a good plan for how the whole universe works, how the earth works, how tectonic plates fit together, how DNA gets coded from one generation to another, if God understands how ecological systems fit together, if he understands how gravity works, if he's in control of all of that, has a good plan for all of that, and he does, then Job concludes, it's a bit of an assumption, but he concluded God must have a good plan for suffering as well. Job doesn't know what the specifics of that plan are, But he also doesn't know how important wolves are to water quality in a river, right? His knowledge is limited. All he knows is there's a tremendous, complex orchestration behind the scenes, and he trusts the one running it is good. He's thinking about how good and amazing God must be to keep all of it going, and he concludes, I have spoken of things too wonderful for me to know. The switch is flipped. His suffering is no longer crushing to him, and instead he sees his suffering as wonderful. His circumstances, by the way, notably have not changed at all yet. We'll get to that next week. But at this point, at this point, when he says, I've spoken of things too wonderful, he still has boils all over his skin. He still has no money. His family is still deceased. Nothing has changed. It's zero physical relief, zero. But his suffering isn't crushing to him anymore. Instead, he calls it Wonderful. There can be a point, and maybe this is a totally new concept for you, but there can be a point at the bottom of our suffering where we break through to peace. Where the idea of God's sovereignty over our suffering is no longer a burden, but is instead a blessing. Where instead of crying to the sky, angry at God, like, You caused all of this, how dare you, we switch. And we say in amazement, like, you had a plan for this? Thank you. You are wonderful. And we can say that even if we're in the exact same circumstances. God does not expect us to get there overnight. And we aren't doing anything wrong if we aren't there now. It's why we spent so many weeks saying how God welcomes us to shout and scream and cry and lament, to wrestle with Him, to question. We, we, we do not need to break through to peace anytime soon. But there will come a moment, maybe years down the road, maybe not until eternity, everybody's different, but there will come a moment when God will speak to us in such a way that His involvement, even in our worst tragedy will become wonderful for us. We'll say, you had a plan. Thank you. Which is why I don't think we can assume God was totally abrasive in how he spoke to Job. All we have are words written on a page. We don't know what tone God used when he said, I will question you and you will answer me. It seems harsh. We don't know if it was harsh. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. We don't know God's tone. But what we do know is how Job received it. Job thought God was wonderful. Job tells us that. So what kind of tone do you think God used? Probably not too big of a slap in the face, but however God approached Job, however he did it, whatever it sounded like, it seems to have been the perfect way at the perfect time for Job to get it. Because after God speaks, Job says, God, your plan for suffering is wonderful. Job has reached some kind of peace. So I would not say that how God speaks to Job is out of character for how compassionate we see God throughout the rest of Scripture. Because God gives Job exactly what Job needs exactly when he needs it. And what's more compassionate than that? Wouldn't you want God to give you exactly what you need exactly when you need it to bring you to peace? Wouldn't you want that? I mean, that would be great, right? We'd all sign up for that. Listen, Christian, God will do that for you. There will come a day when God will speak to you about your suffering, and you will melt. 2 Corinthians 4.17, our momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That is coming for us. And when that day comes, you will say, God, your ways are Wonderful. Okay, finally, how can we have confidence that, uh, that Job or that we have had an encounter with the true God? How do we know, for example, if we have peace, that that peace is really from God? I mean, simply being free from worry, as nice as that would be, and Job seems free, free from worry here, being free from worry is not enough evidence that we have found God through our pain and suffering. I mean, I hope, I pray for all of you this through this whole Job series, you have experienced some kind of warmth and security, some kind of knowledge that your afflictions are preparing you for something or a part of a plan. God's good. I want you to have less anxiety about life. I prayed all of those things for you. But just because you have warmth and security and hope doesn't guarantee that in your pain and suffering you have been led to God, right? You might have found a cookie, right? Fresh from the oven, perfect balance of crispy and gooey. If you bite into one of those, you will be filled with warmth and security. And you might say, I think everything's going to be okay, right? Cookies can be that good. And I'm for that. Yay for cookies. But it's not God. So if you found peace during this series, how do you know? It's from an encounter with the true, real God. Or how do we know that Job found the true God? This passage uh, shows us two marks of a true encounter with God, which are an accurate view of God and an accurate view of ourselves. Accurate view of God, accurate view of ourselves. Job says verse 5, I've heard of you, but now I've seen you. Accurate view of God. And then he says verse 6, therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Accurate view of self. It takes both It should feel crushing and liberating all at the same time. It's how Isaiah responded. Isaiah 6, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of the robe filled the temple. Like, wow, accurate view of God. God's big and amazing. And then he says, Woe to me, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. Accurate view of self. It's how Moses responds when he sees God in the burning bush. Exodus 3. Moses is amazed the burning bush isn't consumed. And then he also hides his face because he's afraid to look. It's how Peter responded when he saw Jesus. Peter said away from me lord i'm a sinful man. The interesting thing with Peter is that Jesus had been standing there for some time. Like P- Peter had been looking at Jesus without seeing Jesus for some time. But then there came a moment, Luke 5:8 when Peter saw Jesus for who he was and Peter literally just fell. Not everyone falls. Not everyone has some kind of a static emotional reaction. So, I mean, it doesn't require us getting weepy when we see God, but there's remarkable consistency over thousands of years of scriptural writers who have never met each other, remarkable consistency in what it is like to encounter God. Each of these biblical characters has an experience of both being overwhelmed by the greatness of God and at the same time admitting freely, like their own kind of... deficiency if either of those are missing we have missed something as just a faint comparison think about the times maybe you were standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon right it's perfection it's unparalleled beauty or you're looking at Yosemite Valley or maybe someone walked in the room who was so gorgeous that it just kind of like knocks the wind out of you and you thought I need to sit down Like, this is too much. This is too much beauty, right? When we see God, it's like that, except it's multiplied by infinity. Because no matter how majestic and perfect a starry night sky might be, for example, uh, it's still part of creation. It's not creator. And if something of this world has overwhelmed you with its perfection, how much more would it be to see the maker of this world? That's the seeing God part. That's an accurate view of him, but we need an accurate view of ourselves too, which is something like how utterly deficient we are, and that should be a natural overflow out of just seeing God for who he is, right? Because his perfection exposes the depth of our imperfection. We would have no delusions about our own greatness if we were looking at true greatness. Another just faint example, but picture you're an athlete, and and you think you have a pretty good time trial, in your race, but then you go to the meet, you go to the competition, and everybody else's times are like a quarter of your time. And you suddenly feel like massively inadequate, right, because of the perfection that you're next to. Or maybe you don't think your car is that dirty, but then you park next to someone whose car is like immaculate, right? And you you suddenly, you feel exposed Like all your stains that you didn't think were that big of a deal, they're like suddenly highlighted, magnified, on display, and you're you're upset over how poorly you've stewarded the resource of your car. Only a Christian would use that phrase. Um, There are, (laughs) like those are small, those are like silly examples, right? But again, whatever inadequacy or stains we might feel compared to earthly perfection, that would be multiplied by infinity if we saw God for who He was. Standing next to his greatness exposes the extent of how much we aren't. And it does it in a way that all of our excuses are gone. There's no attempt to justify ourselves. We just admit freely, like, we are totally at your mercy, totally. Away from me, I'm a sinful man. Woe to me, I am ruined. Whether it was Moses or Peter or Isaiah or Job, it's consistent. They all knew when they saw God, they knew they didn't have any cards to play. No leg to stand on. It's just throw yourself on the mercy of the court. And if that has been your experience when you have found peace, you can be reasonably confident that you really saw God. When at your core, you are convinced of the stark contrast between God's worth and our unworthiness, between God's perfection and our inadequacy, God's holiness and our sin. When that is more than knowledge, when that hits like the depths of the foundations of your soul, you know you've seen God. But amazingly, thankfully, the Christian God doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't leave us with this chasm between us. He's not like, oh, I'm glorious and you aren't the end. That's not what he does. God in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. And when this dawns on you, this is the moment that you become a Christian. Jesus switches places with us. The worthy one becomes unworthy like us so that we could become worthy. The perfect one becomes saturated with our stains so we could become perfect. The holy one becomes sin, takes our sin so that we could become holy. If that has clicked for you, That is when you become a Christian. So today, if in your heart you feel like, I want that, I need that, then pray to God. Right? You've seen the stark contrast between God's glory and perfection. And over here, your inadequacy and sin. You know there's no way you can ever bridge that gap. You know there's no way. You fall on your knees in both kind of humility and wonder. But then you hear Jesus say, I'll switch with you. I'll give you my worth and I will carry your sin no matter how dark and bad and ugly it is. If that is attractive to you, if something in the depths of your being says, I need that, then pray to God now. Say, Jesus, I need your worth. I need your holiness. I need you to carry my sin. And you're a Christian. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have a plan for suffering. Thank you that we can trust that you are good because we know that you have a plan for everything else in the world that we really don't understand. I pray we could take this step today, Lord, where one, we say we don't need to know how everything works in order to trust you and to have peace. And I pray we can take a step to see that you stepped into this world to carry our biggest burdens, to carry our ugliest messes, and to give us your worth and your glory and your holiness. Lord, let our peace come from you uh, and what you have done for us. Uh, We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, one of the symbols that Jesus gave the church um, to illustrate what he did for us, standing in our place, um, is communion. Uh, Bridges, we Traditionally, take this the first Sunday of the month, and so this is our communion Sunday. In just a minute, we're going to have ushers at different corners of the room for you to get up and take communion. Um, For us, you should know that communion, we don't believe that communion forgives you. We believe that what Jesus did, um, and your faith in it, is what forgives you. But communion is a picture of the forgiveness that Jesus bought for us. His broken body has shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. So as, uh, as we play some instrumental music, I'd encourage you to come up and get communion. Um, do not take it yet. I will come back up and we will all take it together. So just uh, come and receive communion. Then you can go back to your seat and I will come up and we'll all take it together. Mm. Well, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he met with his disciples for a final meal. And after the meal, uh, he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the New Testament poured out for the forgiveness of your sins as often as you uh, eat of this bread and drink of this cup to do it in remembrance uh, of him and his sacrifice and work on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of Christ. Thank you that um, he himself suffered, and he himself suffered to carry our burdens, to carry our shame, to carry our sin, that we would be free of it. Lord, while we may not know what all the reasons for suffering are. We know what the reason for suffering isn't, and it isn't that you don't love us, and it isn't that you don't care, or you wouldn't have had the cross. Thank you for the reminder, Lord, and that we focus on it always. pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Dan. Let's respond in song. Would you stand with us as we sing?
5: Hello. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where.
0: so glad that you couldn't be here this morning to worship with us. The day's not done. I'll tell you about what we've got here following this service, but if you're new here, you're here for the first time, second time, uh, you're just checking out the church, or just passing through town as uh, we begin the summer. We're so glad that you could be here, and if you are here for the first time, we'd love to know that so that we can pray for you so that we can perhaps answer any questions you might have about the church. One of the things that we uh, encourage people to do is to go to bridges.info, and you'll find a variety of links at bridges.info that allow us to be in contact with each other. Uh, You may have a desire to uh, ask questions about the church. You can do that at bridges.info. You may want to know why we do things the way that we do Uh, Things in terms of like Lord's Supper, or maybe you have questions about baptism or anything else having to do with Christianity, you can ask those questions at bridges.info. Maybe you have questions about today's message from Pastor Dan. You can get in touch with him and uh, send an email uh, with any questions that you have. And we do our best as pastors to follow up with those questions. That's at bridges.info. Maybe you're looking for a way to get plugged into the life of the church or more plugged into the life of the church, and you'll find about ways that you can serve and use the gifts and experiences and passions that you have uh, to help build God's kingdom. And we'd love to know about that. You can do that at bridges.info as well. We have a variety of service opportunities you'll find out about. Uh, There, one little highlight I just want to just rejoice uh, with all of you about is we have for the last few months been uh, under taking a project over at City Team San Jose's new complex that's called Grace Village that is providing more apartments and places for uh, people, women and children specifically, and families to be able to uh, have a place to stay. And we've been refurbishing one of the apartments over there for the last few months. We're still doing that. We still need doors that need hung. We still have some walls that need primed and painted, some trim that needs to go on the walls. If you wanna participate, And serving like that. We're going to do it this Saturday. We've got a team of folks that will be going over there this Saturday. Just send me an email so that I can send you weekly updates on that. But I do want to let you know, we've also been raising uh, our target goal of $30,000 to pay for that. And this last week, we just hit $30,000. So praise God for that. So. Uh, yeah. Thanks to those of you who gave towards that, and if you want to continue to give in other ways, I think we've taken off the giving link uh, for that. But you can still serve, or if you're wanting to be able to give towards other special projects, talk to me, and we'll figure out a way that you can uh, use those finances uh, in that way to bless our community and to love our neighbor. If you uh, you have questions about what it means to. to to tithe and to give as an act of worship here at a regular basis. You can certainly ask us about that. We encourage our regular attenders and our Bridges members to give each week financially as God has given to you. And you can do that at the boxes located uh, securely on the back wall, or uh, you can give online. You'll find a link at bridges.info. Now, as I mentioned, we have a special thing following here, this service and as we conclude here, we're going to be making our way out to a special picnic. It's a way to have our summer kickoff. We're celebrating a variety of things. It's good to gather together and to sit around tables and visit. And we've got some wonderful food and some great volunteers who've been working hard out there. I especially want to commend Lilia Gore. She has coordinated all of this and has done a beautiful job of that. If you don't know Lilia, uh, we will point her out to you, but she's standing out there and you can just say thank you, Lilia, and to all of our volunteers who put all this together. So here's the instructions. And if you didn't bring anything today, please come and hang out with us. We'd love for you to eat with us and uh, for us to just fellowship together. So I'm told I'm supposed to instruct you all to go out these doors or out this side door and go to the right. Okay? Don't do what Beyonce said. She said go to the left, to the left. We're going to the. R- I know that's a bad thing. I know. Sorry. We have to go to the right, okay? We're going to the right. So you can go out these doors or out the side door. We're going to the right, to the right, and you can follow the arrows out there and go all the way to the gym, okay? Don't stop before the gym. Go to the gym, you'll pick up your plate, and then you'll go around. Uh, the little table that's there by the gym and then you can go through and get your burger or hot dog or whatever uh, you want to do and then under these canopies that's pardon me I'm turning around here if you are looking backwards uh, you'll find some canopies uh, over on the right and you'll find sides and salads and desserts and all those kinds of things so what direction are we going we're going to the right okay and I'm going to pray for our food one one exhortation maybe this is just me I just I want to put it out there I, I think it's wonderful for us on these occasions uh, to be mindful of others with different uh, mobility challenges and all those kinds of things so let's 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 bless our um, senior saints here at the church and let Let's not just, you know, wrestle ourselves to the front of the line. Let's allow others uh, to go uh, before us to the best of our ability, and then you can jump on in the line, too. And we hope that you'll stick around. And, again, thanks for being part of uh, today's service. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go to the right. Okay. God, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have provided. Um, You've provided a Savior. That's our greatest need. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he took our place on the cross paid our debt in full once for all, so that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We pray that as we leave this week, Lord, that we would cast every care on you, see that you are good, and we would trust you more, and love you more, and love our neighbor well. We pray for the food that we're about to partake of. Would you use it, Lord, to nourish our bodies? May we grow in our fellowship, be of one heart and of one mind here uh, as the body of Christ at Bridges Community Church. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you out there.